Well, as we, we finish 2019, um, I, wanna, I want to be able to do just a little bit of a recap over the past couple months of what we've been focused in on, and then also project a little bit he- ahead uh, here in this, the opening of my message so that you kind of see the direction of how this is, is fitting together and weaving together. So we've, we've looked at um, the past three and a half months about this idea that discipleship and following Jesus uh, really has to go beyond just that surface level. It has to go deep into our, uh, deep into our lives, beneath the surface. Uh, often what we allow others to see or what we focus on is just kind of that surface level uh, discipleship or changes in our life. We, we don't allow others to see what's happening in our, own, uh, in our own hearts. In fact, many of you have probably seen the example of an iceberg that shows the tip of the iceberg is what's above the water, but then below it is where the mass of the ice is at. And so this is the same concept that oftentimes what we focus on in our walk with Jesus is a lot of things that people see are behaviors. And that's important. It's an important part that our walk with Jesus affects the way we act and the things that people would see on a regular basis. But that's not the entirety of who we are. And that's not the entirety of what needs transformation in our life. We're, we are not, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not behavioralists. We don't just want to see our actions change, our behaviors change. We want to see our lives change from the inside out. In fact, Scripture teaches that we are new creation in Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a new man, you're a new woman because of what He's done. And when we say we're new, it's just not that we do different things outwardly. It's that we're fundamentally changed in our spirit of who we are. Our nature has changed. We've gone from a sin nature to a a Christ-like nature. And so that's an important understanding. In fact, maybe you've heard the saying, and and I I get the saying that says um, that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, we say that sometimes. I'm, I, there's nothing special about me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I, I understand that. So hear me, I'm not being critical of that understanding. When somebody says that, they just say, you know, I, I'm just like everybody else. I, I'm capable of sinning. And it's just the grace of Jesus that has allowed me to experience forgiveness and, and, and hope. And, and I understand that. Again, please hear me. If you've said that, I've said that. So I'm not picking on you. But here's what's wrong with that is that if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is no longer as a sinner. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint who is being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why in Scripture, you're, you and I are addressed in the early church, Paul always addressed, to the saints at. You know, he was talking to the believers, to, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints at, and he would address the church in that manner. So he never said to the sinners who are living in... <laughs> That's not how he titled his letters because he's saying he's recognizing in the church because of what Jesus has done, the fundamental nature of who you are has changed from sinner is your identity to saint as your identity. And so it's important that we understand that. But, but here's the transformation that takes place isn't just a top perspective, the top part of the iceberg, it's the underlying stuff. And that needs transformation too. And that's, that's a lot of work where we, we look at oftentimes things from our past. How did we live? What was our influencers before we met Jesus? And now how does that need to be transformed so that it looks differently? In a sense, we say we're being, we're all being, regardless of how effective or ineffective you might feel your parents were at parenting you, 
we're all being reparented by Father God. We're all being reparented into what it means to be children of our Heavenly Father and be made in His image. So again, that's not a slight against how your parents did or maybe how you did with parenting your own kids. It's just recognizing we have our limitations in terms of that transformational process of bringing our kids along to reflect the image of the Father. But God doesn't have those same limitations. So there are issues from our past, from our family upbringing, from the culture surrounding us that has imprinted or pushed its way upon us that has formed us to look like something not like the image of Jesus Christ, but more like the image of the world around us. And so part of this difficult and and necessary discipleship is looking at those influencers. What are the things that I brought into my relationship with Jesus that are cultural? What am I bringing into my relationship with Jesus that come from my family of origin? What are the things that I bring in that just have to do with my own appetites and desires? And then how do I look at those, not run from them, so that Jesus can bring healing and bring wholeness into my life in every aspect of my life? And so in that context, we say, listen, we recognize our past, we don't run from it. If you're a follower of Jesus, oftentimes when we read that passage, it says, behold, every man or woman, everyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Very powerful message. But that doesn't mean we just take the past, swipe it off the counter, and it has nothing, no effect on us whatsoever. No, no, no. That means that we don't run from it. I can look at everything that happened in my past. It can come to the surface. It can All all the things that I did, everything that that was influencing me, and I can take an honest look at it and say, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of my failures. I'm not afraid of the imprinting that came upon my life from the culture. I'm not afraid of the things that that I did that, that don't reflect Jesus. But here's the other part of that. I don't live there. I don't live in my past. I live in the new life that Christ has brought about for me. So I recognize it. I allow myself to look at it and and see what's beneath the surface in my life that is more of a reflection of the culture and the imprinting of the world around me and say, that needs to be changed. That needs to be addressed so that Jesus can have his full measure of life in me now because I'm living in him. And I don't want that stuff to continue to have its way in me because I just want to ignore it and I don't want to have to deal with it. No, we say, we're not afraid of the past. We're not afraid of the hurts or the, the difficulties we've gone through in the past. They, they can still, they can, we can see scars and we can recognize that there, there's maybe pains there, but we can also see healing. We can see where God has brought about healing in our life and we can look at those scars and say, wow, God, look how far you've taken me in my life as you've discipled me. Now, here's, here's the other side of that. If we don't do that, if we just say, I don't want to pay any attention to the stuff that I've gone through, I want to bury that, and I just want new life in Jesus, and that stuff, I just want it as far away from me as possible. What often happens is we don't see scars, we continue to see open wounds. We see wounds that never get healed, they come, come into the surface, they're raw, they're, they're very strong in the way that they pull our emotions, the way that they direct our lives because there hasn't been healing. It's just still an open wound that we just avoid ever addressing it. But if we really submit it to the discipleship of Jesus Christ, then he can bring healing into those past things that affected us. And now when we look at a scar, we say, oh, I remember. 
I remember what that's from in my past. I remember what I experienced at that moment. But you know what? It doesn't have power over me. It doesn't redirect my life this way or that way. It can't draw me into a life-controlling habit. It can't change my sense of identity. It can't change who I am because in Christ, I'm a new creation. And so it doesn't hold power over me. But that's a process, right? We don't just get there by raising our hand and saying, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We get there by making that decision, and then we start walking in discipleship with Him and exposing the entirety of our life, the past, the present, and and we just submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. And so that's the first part, what we've been doing over the past few months. You've noticed a lot of the messages that I brought up. We've been talking about dealing with beneath-the-surface issues. How do we... How are we reading our emotions? How are we taking a temperature of what our body's telling us? Are we anxious? Are we, uh, are we outpacing ourselves and living a life that's, that we're trying to do things for God? Uh, are we able to rest? Right? Are we able to find ourselves with the ability to rest? And so that's been the past couple, uh, few weeks, couple months, uh, we've been looking at this idea of rest. Our ability to rest tells us a fair amount about what's happening beneath the surface. Because if I'm anxious all the time and I'm worrying all the time and I've got all these things going on in my life, it's difficult for me to really find myself at rest in God. Because I believe that if, if I'm anxious and I'm troubled all the time, it, I believe that it's all in my hands. There are things that I have to take control of and I'm worrying about them all the time and I'm, I'm just unable to turn them over fully to God and just say, God, you, you have this. You're in control of this. Lord, I can, I can rest in what you, you have for me. So we've been talking about issues like Sabbath, taking, taking a true rest, in a, in a sense, just turning a whole day where we just shut things off and we just say, Lord, life goes on even if I'm not doing something. <laughs> if I'm delighting in you, if I'm spending a day to delight in your creation and delight in your work and spend time in the Word with you and delight in the people in my life and I'm not focused on my doing life will still go on. You know, I discovered that when, when I was uh, church planting. I was, uh, Jerry and I, my wife and I, were, were, were doing so much in a church plant, you feel like so much of it falls on your shoulders. And, and uh, it, it came to my reality that, uh, my understanding that it all didn't rest with me when I had to resign from that work. And all of a sudden, the church still went on. What? How dare the church still go on when I was no longer pastoring? How dare it still function when I wasn't in control and making sure all the things were spinning? Right? But do you ever find that out yourself? You leave something, you think, this place is going to fall apart. The minute I leave, I'm holding it all together. And all of a sudden, it still works. Maybe not as good. It's a, it's a real reality for us that life goes on even when we stop, that things still happen when we're not present. And it's an important part of our being able to rest is recognizing God is in control. God is in charge. He knows what's going on, and so we can cease from our, from our labor. So that's been the past few months. In the month of January, just kind of giving you a projection. So that's beneath the surface types of things of We need to be people who are regularly opening up the whole of our life and just saying, is there any area, Lord, that has not come under your authority and your discipleship? Is there any area that I've kind of tucked away and I'm running from it or I'm stuffing it 
so that, so that I don't have to deal with it. When in reality, Lord, you want to disciple me through it. You want to see me receive healing so that I see scars instead of wounds. So, so that's what we've been looking at. But as we look ahead to the month of January and going forward, we're going to take time to, to talk about healthy community. So if we do things healthy beneath the surface, that means the outgrowth of that in our interactions with others will be reflective of that type of discipleship. So what does healthy community look like within the body of Christ? What does healthy relationship look like between uh, a man and a woman? What does healthy singleness look like in relationship to our, our walk with Christ? And so these are all topics, more outgrowth or visible signs of the good work of discipleship that's been happening beneath the surface. And so I'm looking forward to doing that over the, the next few months together that we as a church would kind of look at some of those, uh, some of those things. But this morning, uh, because we're in a transition, this is, I always look at these moments uh, as we look at the New Year Transition Sunday. I want to really address that, that issue. I want us to look at um, healthy endings and new beginnings. What, what is it that... Re- makes or turns out uh, to be a healthy ending and what creates a new beginning. So whether you're actually in a transition time with work or family or life, maybe your health, relationships, um, or, or maybe you're at a different phase than a transition right now. But I hope this, this helps you as we kind of look at uh, Exodus chapter 14, and uh, we're going to look at the, the Israelites and their transition from Egypt uh, to the promised land, and I think it gives us some, some good insight. But let's pray before we go to the Word, as is our custom, because we want to make sure that the best teacher has the, the strongest voice, and that is, we believe, the Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to breathe the Word of God into us. You truly are the best teacher, the most effective teacher. You take from what is given to you, and you deliver it to us. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to lead us through the Word this morning, to bring to light areas where you're wanting to to transform us. And we welcome you to not only teach, but to do that transformational work. We We cannot make the necessary changes just on our own strength and our own power. We are dependent on you, Holy Spirit, to shape us and to empower us to pursue this discipleship process. So fill us a full. We welcome you. We release our defensiveness. We release our self-protective nature. And we invite you, Lord, to speak directly to the deepest places of our life that we could receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Israelites have just been delivered out of Egypt, but they're being pursued by Pharaoh's army. Um, They're hedged in between the sea and the army. And so they're really struggling to find anything good about the situation they're now in. So in a sense, it's right at the front end of their deliverance. They've been slaves 400 years in Egypt. Uh, They basically have just become a people who are laborers, very low end um, in terms of their function for the Egyptians. 
But God has delivered them just miraculously. God has worked through Moses and done these signs. And so finally Pharaoh says, it ended with the death of the firstborn throughout all of Egypt. And, and so Pharaoh says, get out. He tells the Israelites, get out. And tells them to leave with Moses leading them. They come up to the sea. Exodus 14. And I'm just going to be reading verses 10 through 14. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. It's exactly what God does. He delivers them, opens up the sea, they pass through it. And so an incredible witness to this people that God is their deliverer as he takes them. But it it doesn't take long. Numbers 11, verses 4 through 6. It'll be on the screen as well. Numbers 11, 4 through 6. This is as they've been traveling around in the desert for a while. And they're getting tired. They're getting tired of this journey that's been going on. Yes, God delivered us, but he delivered us into nothingness, into this wilderness area. And so there was a group among them who was really kind of their voices were rising among the, the crowds. And they're referred to in this passage of Scripture as rabble. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Oh, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Similarly, they express a, a, a discontentment in Numbers 21. It says, from the Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea and to go to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, yikes, right? This is, this is us, though. You know, it's easy to look at the Israelites and go, what? What are these people complaining about? Look at how God delivered them. He took them out of being slaves. They were, they were, they were treated as just total scum of the earth. They were treated just beaten, and, and they had no future. They were slaves in Egypt. And yet, here they are traveling out saying, why? Why did you lead us out here? We could be slaves and eating cucumbers and, and the garlic, such good garlic in Egypt. They're complaining about their circumstances because they're longing back for a time when they had things differently. They have no sense of perspective of, of where they're at. It's, it's almost humorous to us if it didn't hit so close to home, often to our own life and the own, our own ways of thinking of how God is dealing in our lives. Each of these passages of Scripture point to these, the people of Israel in an unhealthy ending. They don't know how to leave something. They don't know how to 
get out from what they've been in for what God really has for them. And so many of us, as I said before, would fit in the same mold. And that's one of the purposes of us looking at the Israelites and their story is that we can see both ourself in our tendency, but also in what God would want for us to do in a different way that we can be led out of that. So I want to highlight uh, three characteristics of unhealthy endings. So as we look at the Israelites here, I want you to see three of the characteristics that we clearly see in their own life, but maybe you see it in your own. So one of the characteristics of an unhealthy ending is unhealthy endings assign fault instead of inviting truth for discovery. When an ending is coming, oftentimes we feel like endings, it's so common that we think of endings as bad. When something has to end, it's always bad. And so if it's always bad, it's got to be somebody's fault that something is coming to an end. We want to blame somebody. We, we don't like things to end. We like things to be consistent. We like things showing it for as much as we say, no, I like variety. I like change. We don't. We don't. And the Israelites didn't. They didn't like that the world that they had grown up in was changing, even though it was a, a world enslaved. They still wanted things to be the same, and they were changing. And, and so what did they start to do? They started assigning fault. Moses, why did you do this? Really speaking to God through Moses, why did you take us out here if we were just going to die? And that's such a tendency with an unhealthy ending. And, and when we're not processing an end that's taking place in our life, is the natural response is to start looking around for somebody to blame of why this has to end. Instead of recognizing that, well, maybe God is in this ending somehow. Maybe that there's something else that needs to happen. Maybe it's time that this ends. Maybe all endings aren't bad. Maybe sometimes things have to end so that something new can start. When it's unhealthy, it's it's a failure, we think. It's, it's, it's my failure. We're afraid of, of viewing it as a failure. And so we, we want to, to, to blame somebody for it. We lose all perspective of what has been, and we only dwell on the good things. Oh, it was so good when this, remember that time when this was, and we were all together, and, and everybody was, you know, I, I tend to, so I came to Christ in the late 80s. And um, I'll tell you what, the Spirit of God was moving there, and there's such good worship songs, and I just saw amazing things happening, and friends at my school were getting saved. Man, God was really working in the late 80s. <laughs> Some of you are like, uh-uh. <laughs> no. Did you see the hairstyles then? No. God was not at work in the late 80s. No, that's the tendency, though, is that we, when something is coming to an ending, we all of a sudden glamorize what it has been, and it really wasn't that. It's this amazing thing that it's so hard to let go of because it was so perfect and everything was good about that moment, and it's like, not really. That's exactly what the Israelites are doing. The food we had there, oh, remember the cucumbers, the melons, the food they gave us, oh, so good. You were slaves! You're slaves. Oh, we had it so good. The food was incredible. We got to eat all this good stuff. I mean, if I'm God, I'm just going crazy, right? Just, you were slaves. And all you can do is, is glamorize this moment that you had because 
of the uncertainty of the future. You didn't want to go through this ending. You, you felt like it should just continue on. Not the slavery part. The slavery part, you do fine. You, you wanted out of that, but you didn't want to go through the transition to get into the freedom. That's a common characteristic of an unhealthy ending is that we assign fault instead of inviting truth for discovery. By that, I just mean, Lord, help me see what this was in right perspective. And not to glamorize it or not to feel like it's a failure, but Lord, you're doing something new. And so this needs to come to an end so that something new can happen. Number two, unhealthy endings force my actions instead of choosing my actions. Here's what I mean by that, is that we can feel that we have to make a change and a healthy ending is my hand is forced. I have no part in it whatsoever. Maybe a, maybe a story will kind of help. I was reading a story about a, a monastery where the monks would come in and, and traditionally when they came in, all of their belongings would be kind of in a, in a, uh, a ritual. or So they'd be discarded, done away with, either in the trash or fire or just something where it's like, your old life is gone. You're now a monk. You've, you've joined the monastery. Everything that you once knew is gone. So they'd burn it. They would trash it. It would be gone. Well, this story was about a, um, uh, a monastery where the, what's a lead monk? I'm trying to think of a name for the lead monk, but the, the senior father, um, where they would come in and they would bring their goods, but instead of disposing of them, he would put them in a box and he would store it away. And so, one of the individuals came to him and said, why do you not dispose of those items? Why do you not burn them like is kind of the tradition or, or throw them away? He says, because I want them to be reminded that it was their choice to show up and to come here. And it's also their choice to stay. That if I remove that choice from them, that they've made this unalterable decision, that then it's somebody else is causing this ending to take place. That I no longer have a choice in participating in this. You know, that's so healthy to recognize that, that God brings us to a place, but we actually have a choice to participate in what He's going to do. The reason that you're following Christ and you're at the place is because you made a choice to follow Jesus. And at some point, you can say, well, I don't want this anymore. Now, there's an interesting balance here because we think about calling and the calling of God. And maybe you've heard it said or this idea of, I had no choice but to do this because God's call was upon my life. I had no choice. And there is a measure of truth in that in the sense of we're most satisfied when we're doing what God leads us to do. We're most content and we're most happy when we're following what He has for us. But, but listen, that, that doesn't mean that we, we can't, we're, we're compelled or we're driven and we have no other choices. It just means that we find the most joy in doing what He's lead, led us to do. We still have that choice. And it's such a good reminding, reminder because unhealthy endings look back and they say, somebody else forced me into this situation. I had no choice in it. I had no, no ability to make a choice about how this unfolded in my life. But it's helpful. Healthy ways is when we say, I made a choice to take part in this. I made a choice for that to end and for this to begin. This was an important part in my, my own life too. I shared with you stepping down and, and 
had to step down from ministry in end of 2005. And I remember at that time, because I had felt so strongly the call of God in my life to serve Him in, in ministry, and I remember at that time wondering, here's what was the seed that was in the back of my mind, I wonder if I'll ever serve in ministry again. And so that seed was there. Do you know what that started to do in me? So the first year was okay. The first year I thought, well, it's good that I'm not a part of a ministry. I need health. I need healing. I need to, to go through a process. But then by year two, that seed really started, that, that voice in my head changed from, I wonder if, to you will never be in ministry ever again. And what that started to do is create an anxiety in me and an anxiousness well, I need to do something. I need to go apply for a ministry position. I need to, I need to, I, that ending all of a sudden felt so permanent. It felt so abrupt that I felt like I, all of a sudden, I didn't want that to be the ending. I wanted something else. And, and so it led me in this kind of a compulsion. I want to start applying for different roles. I want, I want to put myself into a situation where I can be in ministry again. But you know what was, was so important was that my wife, how Jerry just counseled me through that. Well, for one, she said, I'm not going to some no man's land out in Nebraska to pastor. So, so just cool it a little bit here. So that helped. But also just the calming voice of saying, listen, we don't have to make decisions based on fear and based on the fear that something has happened that's irreversible. And that something's happened to us that we had no choice in. No, we have a choice in this. And we trust God for His plan. And, and we'll partner with Him in what He wants to do. The, the third one uh, about unhealthy endings is that they don't invite reflection on grief and loss. Only optimism about the future. So here's, here's what can happen. Uh, it's another side of the coin. Is that when an ending is coming... There are some who only want to put the rosy side around it. There are things, whenever there's an ending, there's losses. Things aren't going to be the same as they were. There's a change that's happened in your life because of an illness. There's a change because your work is different. There's a change because some friends maybe moved away to another, another location out of town. And so, you know, the, the unhealthy side of it says, that's okay, they'll be better there. It's a good opportunity for them. We'll find new friends. And it fails to go through the process of recognizing the grief or the loss of that relationship, that it's changed. And it, or it's likely never going to be the same. So unhealthy says that we just have to put a smile on it and just say, it's okay, God will just take care of it in the future. What that does is it doesn't allow us to go through that process of saying, oh Lord, I need you to heal my heart in a healthy way, in a right way. This loss that, that I'm experiencing these relationships that I'll never get to really connect with in the same way. Lord, I'm grieving those. You know, that's different than the complaining that the Israelites did. <laughs> and that's almost the flip side or the result of what happens if you don't grieve properly. It becomes a complaint later on. Why did you leave me here? Why did you bring me to this? Why have you taken those friends away from me? Instead of going through the grieving process and allowing God to speak to us through our losses through those things that are no longer the same, those endings that we experience naturally in life. All of us experience endings of different kinds. And the grieving process is important. Not only for us, but for those around us. 
Sometimes our, our counsel, though well-intended, can be harmful because we want people not to feel the sharpness of an ending, the, the, the harshness of an ending. And so we just, it'll be okay. You'll be okay. We'll, you'll get through it. It'll get better. Just wait a couple months. It'll all get better. Instead of just sitting quietly with them and allowing them to experience the grief or loss because of the ending that they're experiencing. We, we even do this. It's incredible to me, that, but we do this to ourselves or others when the ending has to do with the end of life of a loved one. How many people have I met who have said, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. It's six months ago that I lost my mother, but I still feel... Well, of course you do. Of course you feel tender. But we have this expectation of ourselves, or sometimes of others that we should just get through it. It's like, no, those are great endings. Those are, uh, you know, incredible losses that we've experienced. And so they, they take time to process and to do it in a healthy way. So that when we're downstream, when we're transitioning into a new beginning, that we're not seeing that pop up in our life and we're angry that God never saw that relationship through or He never caused that family member to be healed. So having a a healthy ending is the opposite of this, that we allow time for grief and loss to, to process. Instead of saying, what's done is done, let's move on. God will make it better, let's move on. We allow time to deal with uh, the grief of those endings. So what are some things, let's, let's flip it a little bit. What are some things that will help us as we look ahead to 2020 and we kind of look at 2019 and, and we kind of say, well, what helps us deal with endings in a better way? What are, what are a few things? Well, for one, you can take the three things that I just mentioned and kind of flip them a little bit and say, well, if it's true that not grieving is unhealthy, well, then having a measure of space or making room for grieving a an ending is, is important. But these are some different perspectives that I think actually help us. Uh, one is endings and transitions are usually much longer than we anticipate. Endings and transitions are usually much longer than we anticipate. So back up the clock with Moses before he delivers the Israelites out. What happens is he kills an Egyptian. He, he wants to see God's people taken care of. So then he flees out to the desert any, any Bible scholars in here remember how long Moses is in the desert? Forty years. That's a long transition. Out with the sheep and goats out in the desert. It's a long transition before God brings them back to Egypt to deliver the people out. Forty years. How old was Jesus, the Son of God, when He started His ministry? Early 30s? Son of God. Early 30s. Before he starts his public ministry. Our pacing, our, our sense of when things should happen, the transitions and these endings, they, they tend to drag out much longer than we anticipate. You know how long it was before I felt God actually leading me back into ministry? Eight years. Eight years. You know what that does inside of you, that process, when you think, you know what, after two years, I'm thinking, it's going to be a while. Year three, is it over? Year four, I don't think God, who's going to call me after being at a ministry for four years, five years, six years? I'm done. 
Let me look for a different career. God, what other thing could you do in my life? Because ministry is no longer an option. You're six, you're seven, and finally a door opens, you're eight. Here at New Horizons. Eight years. Do you know what happens, and many of you do, as you wait that long, that compulsivity and that I have to do something in order to make God's will happen. I can't let the ending be the ending. Lord, there has to be something that you're going to do. That compulsivity starts to fade away. We begin to surrender more to what is it, God, that you want to do? I'm going to set my agenda aside. I can't make anything happen. There was a period of time there for a couple years I thought, I can make something happen. I can get my resume out there. I could do. The longer time went on, the less appealing I felt I looked to a potential church because I'd been out of ministry for X amount of time. So I'm just sharing with you my experience because the, the, happen is, the, the thing that happens is endings and transitions often take longer than we anticipate. For Moses, it was 40 years. God's sense of time is really different than ours. We really think of boom, 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 things have to happen. God thinks of, I'm ending this, transition, transition, and really the last 20 years of your life, I'm going to do something wonderful. And in this in-between time, I'm doing something wonderful in you so that I can do something wonderful through you. The other thing, ending and transitions are essential in our maturing in Christ. This is an important thing for us to realize. Instead of blaming or feeling like failure, why is this over? Why does this ministry have to end? What, why does this small group, it's, it's no longer going the way that I, I wish it was. Why do we have to stop that? Why does, you know, on and on, these things that end in our lives that we feel like they're failures, instead of just recognizing there's a season. There's a season for things in our life. A season for things to begin and a season for things to end. Healthy things end. They don't just continue on. The only thing that doesn't have an ending is your life. Amen. Endings and transitions, they're essential to our maturing in Christ. This is part of the process by which we understand it as God's discipling in our life that we deal with loss, we deal with an ending And we deal with this waiting time in between. I love what the scripture says about the Israelites, the word that Moses gave to the Israelites. God's going to do it. You need just remain silent. That's your part in it. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you right up there. Your role, just be silent. Watch what God does. And then walk walk through. The last one that I have is ending and transitions are a gateway to a new beginning. Endings and transitions are a gateway to a new beginning. It's important. It's healthy for us to see it in that way. If we only see it as a loss, if we only see it as the loss of the leeks and the onions and the garlic and we long for those days, we'll be turned this way towards our past and not ahead to a gateway to a promise and a new beginning of what God has for us. So it's important that we see endings in that way, even if we're not in control of them. Here's an important part is that do you know that there are endings that take place in your life that they end because you have no control. It just ends. Something just stops. And it's so hard for us because we say, but I want my say. I, I want to determine if that's the end or not. And there are times we don't get that. Something in our life ends without us having say about it. But you know, And we can, we can just stew on that. We can ruminate on it. We can just dwell on that and just say, 
that can't be the end. I didn't get to have a say in that. And we get so fixated on that that we fail to turn our eyes and say, God has a new beginning. God always begins something out of not the same ending, but something new He has for us. Endings and transitions are a gateway to a new beginning. Let me read you this this, uh, quote from Parker Palmer. He says, on the spiritual journey, each time a door closes, the rest of the world opens up. All we need to do is to stop pounding on the door that just closed. Turn around, which puts the door behind us, and welcome the largeness of life that now lies open to our soul. Let me read that one more time, because I think it's a great picture of what's needed for us to move forward into a new beginning. On the spiritual journey, each time a door closes, the rest of the world opens up. All we need to do is to stop pounding on the door that just closed, turn around, which puts the door behind us, and welcome the largeness of life that now lies open to our soul. Again, that doesn't mean we don't grieve. It doesn't mean we just put it behind us and we only look ahead and say, oh, the future's better. No, we do all of these things together. It's part of our discipleship. We recognize a door may have closed, but that's not the end of my life. That's not the end of what God has for me. I can give you an absolute certainty. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're breathing air in and out of your lungs, this is not the end for you. God has new beginnings for you. He still has new beginnings for you. And for as long as we draw air into our lungs, God isn't finished. We may be in transition or we may be going through an ending of our lives, but that also means there's a new beginning ahead of us. What that is, we get to wait on the Lord and allow Him to unfold it for us, to open it up in front of us. But we do have to stop pounding on that door and looking back and saying, I want that to be the normal again. I want yesterday's experience. I want my relationships that I had five years ago, 20 years to be today's experience. No, we have to be able to grieve that in a healthy way. We don't need to blame anybody. We don't need to find fault for that ending. We seem to surrender it before the Lord and say, Lord, as that ending has come, I, I turn my face towards the new beginning that you have for me. Well, during our response time, as the worship team comes up, we're going to just take an opportunity to reflect on what it is that the Lord might have for each one of us. So we, we like to take the last few minutes of every service. Uh, we have communion up at the front on either side of the platform. And you can just take the bread and dip it in the, the juice. And again, it's just recognizing that with, with Jesus... <laughs> Such the most powerful picture of an ending and a new beginning. His life surrendered on the cross, crucified, death. But the death wasn't the final answer. The resurrection, a new beginning, that ushers that in for each one of us as well. Then in that same pattern, that same image, that there are multiple small deaths in our life, sometimes major losses and endings. But there's a new beginning that awaits us. And so if you'll join me in standing, uh, I want us to take this time to respond either with communion and worship.
as we lift our voices up or in prayer. This morning, if you find yourself stuck at a particular ending, as I've been talking, you've been thinking about the loss of a loved one, or you're thinking about a job that you had, and you have not been able to let it go, that your identity and purpose was so wrapped up into it that you haven't been able to move on, a relationship that you never were able to grieve the loss of. You just felt like you had to put a smile on and just say, it'll all be better in the future and just kind of move on. But instead, today's a great day for you to come before the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to end things well. I want to be healthy in these endings in my life so that I truly can look to the new beginning that's awaiting me, that I'm not constantly fixated back into Egypt and what what I had back there, but I can just release it freely and it doesn't have a pole on me, right? Beneath the iceberg, I'm living freely and lightly in Jesus, looking ahead to all that he has in front of us. So Lord, we give you this time, our response to you. God, there's so much for us to, to look at in this. Um, Lord, for many of us, there's areas that it's, it's going to take some time, but, but God, We're so thankful that you're not in a hurry. In fact, you're helping us and you're asking us to to pace ourselves more in line with you. To not be in such a rush to get through the things of our life, but to to disciple through them in in a steady, consistent way and invite you in to work in our lives. So Lord, where there's been endings that we haven't done well, endings where we've been unhealthy, we've cast blame and Lord, we've moved on too quickly or just patched over it. Lord, endings where uh, we've glamorized what it used to be. Lord, I pray that you would help us to begin that process of healing and walking in a more healthy way through those endings. Lord, where we fail to see that a new beginning is awaiting us, I pray this morning that you would release it from our hands that we wouldn't long for the past and what we had, but Lord, that we begin to turn our back to that closed door and see the promise, a new opportunity of a new beginning, that that's not the end, that's just the start of something new that you want for us. Help us to receive it, to be open to what you want to do in us and through us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.